as you're taking your seat there and kind of getting situated, you can grab your Bible and you can open up to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And we're going to specifically start our time looking at verse 21. And uh, I want to maybe just let you know how important our subject matter is this morning. Last week I began by talking about the significance of purity in the book of Proverbs because of the amount of space given to it, specifically chapters 5 through 7, that chunk right there in the earlier chapters indicates to us the significance and the weightiness of that topic. But in one sense, I kind of should have saved that introduction for this morning because what we see here when it comes to the matters of the tongue and matters of our speech is that nothing is given more prominence than this topic in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs recognizes the importance of our words by addressing this subject approximately 150 150 times, sorry, in 915 verses. That is one-sixth of the entire book devoted to this subject. In fact, the book of Proverbs has more to say about our words than anything else it addresses in our lives. It talks more um, than about our words than it does about money, about sex, about family. This is such a significant topic, and this should come as no surprise to us. One recent study states that the average person speaks about 700 times a day. Not words, just 700 times. And even if you think that number is exaggerated, just go ahead and cut it in half and just imagine that you spoke 350 times every day. And maybe some of you are more introverted, and for you, 300 times is is well beyond what you even average. So just cut that in half and imagine you spoke only 175 times a day. Do you get my point? We speak more than we do probably anything else in our lives, maybe aside from sleeping. And so this topic is incredibly important. Our many words matter, and they matter immensely. Our words matter in our conversations. They matter in our emails and our texts and our phone calls and all the rest of the areas of our lives. But because it's something so familiar to us and something that's a frequent part of our everyday lives... I fear that we underestimate the importance of our words. And Proverbs 18.21 pierces our hearts with these profound words. Listen to what it says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words matter so much, and this morning I want to look at this from three different angles. I want to look at why exactly our words matter so much. First, just notice this, our words matter because they have the power to ruin lives. Death is in the power of the tongue. Flip, if you would, back to Proverbs 13. We're going to be moving through a lot of different Proverbs. We're not going to hit all 150 of them this morning. But I want to highlight for you some really important Proverbs for the purposes of our sermon this morning. Proverbs 13.3 says these words, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, 
He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs chapter 10, flip back another page likely, verse 14 says this, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 14 verse 3 says this, by the mouth of fool comes, by the mouth of a fool he becomes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Every one of us knows what it's like to put our foot in our mouth, right? We've all been there, done that. We've all been humiliated or embarrassed by something we've said. But many of us have seen the great damage our tongue can do throughout our lives. Many of us have had to learn the hard way, figuring out the hard way that there are times where we need to keep our mouths shut. And we're experiencing the devastating power of words all around us all the time. I think one of the clearest ways we see the power of words is in social media. And social media is just the worst, okay? It's just, I'm just going to say, it's just the worst. It, it is awful for this. It is a place where ignorance and emotion are pooled regularly, where people feel the freedom to spout off whatever they want, whenever they want, without any consequences. People give full vent to their opinions. And for many Christians, social media has given them a license to somehow be unbiblical with their speech. Uh, the famous philosopher Mike Tyson uh, once said recently, he said, social media made y'all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. I mean, those, that's not a biblical reality. In well, one sense, it kind of is. The rod is for the back of the fool. That, that's, that's a, there, there's a sense, listen, apart from social media, there was a time when that was a good check and balance for us. You had to weigh your words carefully because the physical consequences could be profound. In fact, this is a great source of accountability maybe for you in your life. Just think, whenever you go to say something, say, just say to yourself, would Mike Tyson punch me in the face for this? I got something way better for you than that, so just hang tight. The point is this, that we can ruin our own lives, listen, by our foolish words. But we also take, need to take note of this, we can also ruin the lives of others. How many times have we heard or said or sung the words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? How many of us figured out that that song is just one big lie? For most of us, the sting of words has caused far more damage in our lives than any physical injury we've ever incurred. Even right now, if you just pause and think for a moment, I'm sure you can think up the most devastating words that have ever been said to you. You can feel their impact. You can feel the weight of them. You can feel them piercing right into your very soul. The tongue has this unique power to destroy people. Death is certainly in the power of the tongue. The tongue can literally kill. I read about a woman in Los Angeles who took her own life, and all she wrote in her suicide note was this, they said. 
In his suicide note, Vince Foster of the the Clinton White House administration, he wrote this of Washington, D.C. He said, here ruining people is considered sport. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. Just the first half. There is one, it says, whose rash words are like sword thrusts. In English, we speak similarly about cutting remarks, our words having an edge to them. We need to see our rash words like razor blades that fly out of our mouth right into the soul of the person that we are aiming them at. And we need to realize that though those words come off our mouths quickly, the wounds they leave last a long time. Those wounds often remain long after those words have faded away from our own memory. It happens so easily too, doesn't it, in our lives? It happens in these outbursts of rash words and reckless words and unthinking words, just blurting out whatever we might be thinking without filtering it wisely. I think this is why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, that on the day of judgment, people will give account, listen to this, for every careless word they speak. That's heavy. You see, words do not need to have to be intentional to be deadly. They can simply be careless or reckless. And I think it's fitting just to take a moment together this morning to consider some of the ways that our words can be careless, and we can be reckless, and we can do damage to others. I'm going to frame them in the positive, just three of them really quick. First, we need to learn to give greater care to our temperature. Emotional outbursts and reactions do more damage than we realize. How many of us have flown off the handle in a fit of rage who who have responded and reacted simply out of emotion in the moment and said things to other people that we deeply regret? We must learn to stop blurting out whatever we feel in the moment that we feel it. We must learn to bring our words under the very judgment of God's Word. Proverbs 29, 11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. This is why in the New Testament, James says that we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Then he goes on to say that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Our emotions make a terrible leader. They get us into all kinds of trouble, and we need to just learn to breathe in moments of emotional response. We need to learn to pray and subject ourselves and to submit ourselves to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need to ask ourselves some very simple questions. Why am I so angry? Why am I so angry at somebody else? Where's my sin in this matter? James chapter 4, why are there so many fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions wage war within you? You see, your greatest problem is not what somebody else has done to you, it's what's inside of you. Let me give you another one. We need to give greater care to our tone. To our tone. You can look at Proverbs 15, 28. Proverbs 15, 28 says this, it says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. 
I love that. There it is. There's that idea of slowing down. Don't be rash. Don't be quick with your words. Pause. Consider not only, listen, what you're saying. Consider the appropriate way to say it. I think that's the implication here. We need to check our content, but we need to for sure check our tone. It's not just about what we say. We all know this. It's about how we say it. This one's kind of for fun but I'm going to throw it in here because it fits both with tone and our next one, which is timing. But Proverbs 27, verse 14 says this, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Okay? Every parent knows this, don't they? Kids, back to bed. And this really does cover this idea of both tone and timing, but we need to be considerate when it comes to our timing. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Again, not just the content, but the the timing and the tone, all of these things merge together to make our words beautiful and helpful. There is certainly a time to shut up, and there is certainly a time to speak up, but what we need to recognize is that our words have the power to ruin lives. They can ruin our own life, and they can ruin the lives of, life of others. Death is in the power of the tongue, but notice this secondly. The proverb says this as well, life is also in the power of the tongue. And secondly, I want you just to see this. Our words have the power to refresh souls. Proverbs 12, verse 18, we looked at the first half of it, but notice the second half of it. It says, there is one who is, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words can hurt people, or they can help people. Our words can tear people down, or they can build people up. Why is it that our words can do this in someone's life, can build them up and refresh their soul? Simply put, it's because the tongue of the wise cares more about healing than it does hurting. It cares more about soothing an injury than about winning an argument. It cares more about preserving a relationship than being right. It knows the right hills to die on and the wrong hills to die on. You know, when it comes to words that refresh souls, I'm not sure there are any words as important as these three simple words, I am sorry. Now, for some of us, it's been quite a long time since we've actually said those words. For many of us, it's been a long time since we've actually said those words in a meaningful sort of way. You know what I mean by that? Without any qualification. A lot of us are really good at throwing the words, I'm sorry, out there, but they're also really good at qualifying that. I'm sorry, but you did this to me. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm really sorry you are the way you are. That's not biblical repentance. That has no potential to refresh anybody's soul. But the words, I am sorry, have so much power in them, especially when it comes to our relationships. In fact, 
Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer, in his book entitled The Mark of the Christian, he writes about how we are to love one another and refresh one another in this healing way. And he says this. This is a long quote. I'm going to throw it up on the screen so you can follow along. I just felt it was so fitting and so helpful. Listen to what it says. It says, what does this love mean? He's talking about Christian love, true Christian love. How can it be made visible? First, it means a very simple thing. It means that when I have failed to love my Christian brother, I go to him and say, I'm sorry. It may sound simplistic to start with saying that we are sorry and asking forgiveness, but it is not. This is the way of renewed fellowship. Whether it is between a husband and a wife, a parent and a child, within a Christian community or between groups, when we have shown a lack of love toward the other, we are called by God to go and say, I'm sorry, I really am sorry. This, this is where he gets really heavy. If I am not willing to say I'm sorry when I have wronged somebody else, especially when I have not loved him, I have not even started to think about the meaning of a Christian oneness which the world can see. The world has a right to question whether I am a Christian. And more than that, if I am not willing to do this very simple thing, the world has a right to question whether Jesus was sent from God and whether Christianity is true. We refresh souls and we restore relationships through repentance and reconciliation. But there's a second way that we refresh souls, and that is through biblical encouragement and affirmation. Proverbs 12, verse 25, just drop down the page a little bit there, says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You see, this reminds us that we're not meant to stand alone in the Christian life. We talk about this so often around here because the Bible talks about it so often. In our isolation, we become depressed and fearful. And so what we so often need is a good word from outside of ourselves, even words that we know inherently to be theologically true, even words that we have spoken to others at times that they are experiencing discouragement, despair, adversity, pain, and trial. We need people in our lives to come alongside us at those very moments that we will experience that kind of despair and anxiety and worry and fear and to speak the very same words into our own hearts. I love the way that 1 Samuel 23, 16 describes this friendship between David and Jonathan. And I particularly love the way that Jonathan encouraged David in his moment of despondency and despair. It says this, the Word of God says that Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. And I just want to remind you that the kind of affirmation and encouragement we need to be giving one another is not a worldly kind of self-help kind of thinking. It's not simply pumping up people's self-esteem and telling them that they're good people, telling them that, that their best life is now or their best life is coming. That's not really the goal here. The goal is to offer a biblical kind of affirmation and encouragement that strengthens people's hand in God that pushes them to the source of true joy, of true stability, of true power. You see, we can be with one another in hard times, and we should be, but we need to remind one another that God is always with us. Really quickly, I'll put them on the screen, Proverbs chapter 10, 
Proverbs chapter 10, verses 11 and 21. Just listen to these words. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Verse 21 says this, the lips of the righteous feed many. You see, we need to be reminded that there is enough in Christ not only for us to be refreshed, but also for us to refresh others. And it is our words, listen, this is so important, it's our words that open His fountain and spread His table for many others to come and sit and feast upon. So let's just ask this this really important question. How do we restock ourselves? How do we refresh ourselves? The simple answer, but the biblical answer is this, by going deeper with Christ. It is about your communion, your fellowship with Jesus Christ, because it is there in those moments of deep communion that He is able to make our mouths still waters and our lips into green pastures for others around us. The Bible says that our words, when we use them for Christ, they give grace to those who hear, Ephesians 4, 29. And God has called His people to this powerful privilege. In fact, when Proverbs 10, 21 says that the lips of the righteous feed many, that word feed there means to shepherd. So so the imagery is that of a, a shepherd who tends and guides and protects and feeds his flock of sheep. And that means, loved ones, listen, that we all take responsibility to breathe life into everyone around us by our words of biblical encouragement and affirmation. Let me just make this maybe even more clear. You say, how can I grow in this? How do I do this well? Well, let's just get this, kind of set the record straight. People who speak wisely, who say the right thing at the right time in the right way, are people who store God's truth up in their hearts. Proverbs 10, 13 says, On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. Verse 14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. You see, we can only refresh ourselves and refresh others if we're feasting upon the Word of God ourselves, storing it up within us a people who know and love God because we know and love God's Word. We're memorizing it. We're meditating upon it. We're setting aside time daily to be with God, not just, listen, not just to tick the box, not just to go through the motions, but to actually sit and engage with God in deep, rich communion and fellowship, to speak to God through prayer, but to hear God speaking to us through His Word. And then we take that word after our soul is refreshed and we refresh the souls of others with it. There's another significant way that we refresh the souls of people with the word of God, and that is, listen, through evangelism. We refresh people's souls by telling them where they can come and find life. We want our words, our wisdom to be a fountain of true and eternal life. I was thinking about this as I prepared this this week and the importance of words. And I remembered in John chapter 6, remember when when Jesus says to Peter, Peter, are you also going to leave? 
And Peter looks at Jesus and he says these profound words, to whom else will we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. And loved ones, by extension, the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, have been given the word of God. We have been given the word of Christ, the gospel itself, so that we might go and refresh souls with the gospel. So that we might see not souls simply refreshed, but revived, brought to newness of life. God calls us to constantly refresh our souls at the well of the gospel, to constantly remind one another, listen, your sins are forgiven, grace abounds to you. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of your sin, all of it was nailed to the cross. You're forgiven, you're free, the penalty has been paid. But then we go to the world as ambassadors of Jesus Christ and we herald the good news and we tell people, come, come and find life where I have found life. Come to Jesus. Finally, we see the power of our words in that they have the power to reveal hearts. Look with me at Proverbs 15, 28. It says again that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. I want you to notice the connection with the heart. This verse implies that the condition of the heart produces speech from our lips. In other words, the heart is actually the source of our sinful speech or our sanctified speech. Chapter 15, verse 7 says this. Look at this connection again. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Look at verse 14 and notice the same connection. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. You know, your tongue doesn't make you a fool or sinner. It simply reveals you are a fool or sinner. I love what Abraham Lincoln once said. He said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. The truth is that can be said for every single one of us. Our mouths at various points in our lives reveal how foolish and how sinful we actually are. And this is why Jesus makes the statement he does in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and following. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen there so you can see it, but I'm going to back up a little bit and listen to the context a couple verses before this. It says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. He's making this connection between the root of the tree and the fruit of the tree. The fruit, in other words, shows you the kind of tree that you are. So what exactly is the fruit that he's talking about? Look at verse 34 there. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Again, we looked at this verse, but let me say it again. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every 
careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, we often underestimate the connection between the heart and the tongue. We might admit the notion of a Freudian slip, you know, something our our tongues reveal about our subconscious, but we deny that such slips of the tongue, words that escape in casual conversations or emotional reactions, are reliable indicators of the state of our hearts. We say things like this, "I, I, you know, I was just angry, you know I didn't mean it. But what we don't realize is that, listen, in moments of pressure, in moments of testing, in moments of trial, our hearts are being squeezed. And those are oftentimes the most reliable indicators of what's actually going on in our heart, right? Because when you squeeze the heart, what comes out only comes out because that's what was inside. And Jesus teaches us that our words are reliable indicators of who we are. They're so reliable that on Judgment Day, Jesus says that we will know we are Christians by our tongues. What is in the heart, good or bad, comes out of the mouth. So just ask yourself this question as you look at your life. Listen, we all have bad things that come out of our mouths. I'm not talking about momentary things. I'm talking about now the pattern of your life. Now is a great time to simply inspect the fruit. What comes out of your mouth most often? What comes out of your mouth in the moments of trial and temptation and testing and pressure? Are you known as being somebody who is quick to be critical, constantly grumbling, constantly complaining, lying, gossiping, slandering, tearing people down, or or are you finding yourself growing in your gentleness? in speech that praises and honors God regardless of the circumstances, in speech that wants to build people up no matter what they've done to you and how they've hurt you. The tongue is such a small part of the body, and yet it shows the heart in such profoundly deep ways. And most people simply think that their heart is okay, but they struggle a little bit with their tongue. Jesus says you potentially are struggling with the tongue so much because your heart is not okay. It's even possible that you have not moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so the answer for you today may simply not be to try harder and to do more. It may be today for the first time to simply repent and believe. And maybe even as a follower of Christ, you just, you notice the struggle with your tongue. The answer again is it's still the same. The gospel calls you back and says, repent and believe. Be refreshed by the grace of God. And then humble yourself and make Jesus Lord once again in every area of your life, over your mouth and over your heart. Cut down the old bad tree and let the Lord Jesus plant a new one. Abide in Him daily and faithfully and watch the good fruit grow as your speech manifests the heart change. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words, what we actually say, show whether we have faith in Christ or not. We are justified by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. It comes out, biblically speaking, in both our works and in our words. Here, Jesus identifies our words. Thankfully, every sinful word we've spoken can be completely forgiven, and our hearts and mouths can be filled with the Word of Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly 
teaching and admonishing one another, listen, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. God, we thank You, Lord, for the clarity of Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for how it convicts us, Lord, and yet at the same time encourages us and offers us so much hope. God, every single one of us in this room has struggled with our tongue. We've said things we regret. We've had things said to us that have damaged us deeply. And so every one of us, Lord, confesses now that we need you. We need your grace to forgive, Lord, what we have said. But God, we need your grace to remind us of your good word about who we are in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that the word of Christ would truly dwell within us richly, individually, Lord, but corporately as a church family. The word of Christ would form us, would fashion us, and would cause us with thankfulness to sing praises to your name. We pray that it would do that even now. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.